and welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors and congregational care ministers to develop and implement congregational care ministry and to provide ongoing training and resources to existing care ministries. I'm Reverend Joy Dister Dominguez, and with me today is Reverend Barbara Dunlap. So Reverend Barbara Dunlap is an ordained deacon and founder of Sacred Worth Ministries. From 2017 until September of 2021, she served as an associate minister at First United Methodist Church of Hearst, Texas. She's a graduate of Bright Divinity School and TCU, both in Fort Worth. Barbara's call to ministry began with the question, what would the world look like if women and girls were seen as children of God with sacred worth? As a response to that question, she works to address issues that impact the daily lives of women and girls, such as reproductive health, maternal health, empowerment, education, and advocacy. Barbara is a member of Tarrant County Breastfeeding Coalition, the Tarrant County Birth Equity Collaborative, United Methodist for Reproductive Justice, and serves as the co-chair of the Health Equity Alliance of Tarrant County, and that's here in Fort Worth, Texas. Barbara's ministry models are the nuns and nurse midwives from Call the Midwife and Mr. Rogers. In her free time, Barbara enjoys reading, watching Food Network and sitcoms, creating playlists on Spotify, and singing musical theater songs at the top of her lungs in the car, especially while driving her children to school. I bet they love that. Barbara, yes. welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Joy. Glad I'm to be so- here. I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, we have, I have so many great questions and this is going to be such a fun episode to record with you. And first of all, I'm just curious to know, how did your passion develop for women and girls to be seen as sacred worth? I come from a long line of what I would call tough broads and uh, <laughs> strong women. Love that. Yes. And uh, my mom has three sisters. Uh, so those four aunts, you know, and then like, um, there's we had, there were a lot of girl cousins and two boys they were way outnumbered um but my mother and her sisters all had college degrees and in non-traditional fields and my mother's mother ha- had graduated with a degree in math from OU in the 40s wow. my dad's mother was a teacher and was um like a Rosie the Riveter and sure. uh just you know the these strong women in my family and i think from the beginning i had that so and then when i got as i got older i kind of realized not everybody has that and not everybody's parents told them that they could be whatever they wanted when they grew yeah. up. I mean, my mother was told that by her own father in like the 50s, right? Like how many dads in the 50s told their daughters, you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up. Um, but he did. And so then that was passed on down to us. And my dad said the same thing and my mom. And so uh, just I kind of started recognizing that as I got older, that not everybody had that. And not everybody had these open conversations with their parents that I had with mine. And so it just kind of was always under the surface. Like I was in seventh grade um, saying I was a feminist and like fighting mm-hmm, with this mm-hmm. guy in my English class that was a male chauvinist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had arguments. I love that. So it really started very early, but not mm-hmm. as ministry, just as like a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And I love that rich history of female empowerment. And so obviously you felt that as a young girl and you, oh my gosh, I love that. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) My grandmother got her master's degree in the 1950s, which was. That's incredible. Unheard of then. Yeah. Unheard of. Yeah. Um, 
I love that. And so as you've evolved to um, be really passionate about um, equity for girls and women, what made you want to get involved in these various organizations? Um, well, I think a lot of it started. I mean, I really have to give a lot of credit to United Methodist Women uh, because I was a laywoman. Uh, I was awesome. a stay-at-home mom at the time. I mean, I had worked, and then once I had kids, I stayed home, and I was involved in my church, and I got involved in United Methodist Women, um, and I was actually served as the president of our local unit, and um, just seeing all the the work that United Methodist Women does for women and youth and, and children around the world, and just that, like, knowing that there's, like, I mean, we talk about a cloud of witnesses, which there is this mm -hmm. like that has passed mm -hmm. on, but also that's around us that are still living. And so that to me was very empowering. And so it was at United Methodist Women Assembly um, that I saw this banner that actually had the question that you read earlier that was, what would the world look like if women and girls were treated as mm -hmm. children of God with sacred worth? And I saw that banner. I literally saw a sign uh, and I looked at that and I thought, I want to help answer that question. And not just what, what would the world look like? What would the church look like? And that's why I went to seminary. And I did not think I was going to get ordained. I was like, oh, I'll just do like lay ministry, which is very, you know, valuable. And, and so I did that like for a year, my first year in seminary. And somewhere in there, there was a United Methodist polity class. I was like, there's so many rules. Um, and, and they protect people, but sometimes they're not always protecting the right people. Mm -hmm. And so thinking yeah. about how can I work from the inside as an ordained clergywoman to help change some of these things and help um, look at how, how we as a church treat women and girls and then how the world treats women and girls. So kind of, kind of started that way, uh, mm -hmm. kind of inside mm -hmm. out, I guess. Wow. That's awesome. That is awesome. And I think back to that time at the general assembly for UMW, United Methodist Women, and they put that banner up, right? Probably maybe not realizing the impact that question is going to have on people and here look at you and all the ways that 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 has guided your um your direction and call to ministry um so this is our our season about um children and caring for children caring for those caregivers who care for children and guardians and so where do you see the disparities for girls in particular in our world today Oh, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I can start first with even the church. One of the things yeah, that, that shocked me at that same United Methodist Women Assembly. So granted, this was seven years ago, but I'm thinking that maybe not a lot has changed in seven years. Some things have, but I was in a breakout session and people were talking about acolytes. And there was, a, there were several people who said that at their church in 2014, mm -hmm. girls were still not allowed to be acolytes. Really? And in United, in, Methodist, United Church? Methodist churches. Yes. Wow. And so to me, like hearing that, um, I, I, you know, I said I was raised by a strong, strong women and, and my dad too. My dad's wonderful. He is not a strong woman, but he is, <laughs> he is a, a fan of strong women. Sure. Um, but I, I was also raised in a church that supported women. I was raised in United Methodist church, one that had female clergy, one that let me do whatever, you know, be an acolyte, do whatever. Um, so hearing that just shocked me because like I said, I forget that not everybody had these experiences. And sure. so hearing that made me think, wow, how can we, how can we fix this in the church? You know, or how can we fix this in the world if we don't fix it in the church first? Mm, and so that yeah. was part of it for me too. And so hearing things like that and then seeing things um, you know, if we look at oh, this just came out in the news the other day about the Nobel Prize, right? I don't know if you've seen that chart of how many Nobel Prize winners there have been over the history of the award and how few of them have been women. 
Mm, um, it's, yeah. it's, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's mm-hmm. shocking. And so, and it's not that women aren't making advances in science and literature and all these different fields. It's that their work's not being recognized the same way. Mm, uh, mm. We have pay disparities. I mean, oh, we have sure. those within the church and we have those outside mm-hmm. the church. And so um, just, there's so many things that I just think, you know, it's just inequitable. And, and talking about medical care, I was speaking with somebody about this the other day, right? The default is always male when mm-hmm. we look at mm-hmm. medical trials sure. or whatever. And so we don't see how that impacts women or girls. And so I just think there's there's so many different areas. And so there's a lot of work for lots of people to do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of work, unfortunately. Yeah. So I wonder if we invite our listeners into their own context to think through how we are honoring and recognizing the work of girls in our own local congregations. Um, I think if we can pay attention to that and see that girls are being represented, I think it, it may be very eye-opening in our own context. Um, Cause that, not having any girl accolades, like I, I can't even fathom that. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. And so then it, it begs the question, what areas are we lacking? Um, how are we not creating a focus that is equitable for girls. Um, and even how we talk about um, how we talk about God and how we represent God in, in our church that girls can or cannot understand or respond to. Um, have you found that t- to be the case as well? For sure. Uh, that's, that's one of those things. Um, it, it's an interesting thing because God often gets a he pronoun. And I like to say God's pronoun is God. But then also sometimes we need to talk about God as she or God as mother. Because when we don't use a pronoun, then people who have only ever heard he default to that again. And so I like to, um, you know, find those biblical imagery of God as a mother Mm -hmm. or um, and think about that. And and, um, yeah, there's a so here's a story uh, that I keep coming back to is, I mean, I'm not going to like read all of it right now, but Exodus two, right. We have this story about Moses's birth. Mm -hmm. And then there's this whole story and it's this story about Moses being put in the basket and into the water. So I like using this as a great example. So I'll read this story to people and I'll say, what is this story about? And they always say it's about Moses. And I'm like, okay, sure. No, it's not really. It's about his mother and his sister and Pharaoh's daughter and her handmaidens. Mm -hmm. There's like Mm -hmm. five women in this story. But when we read the story, we say, this is a story about Moses. Oof. And it's not. Yeah. And those women were, in, we know how few women are included in the Bible. Sure. And those women were actually included in the story. Right. They and were Zimbra important Abula enough. Were named. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so like, um, just the fact that like we default to, oh, well, this is Moses' story. You know, mm. when we talk about Jesus yeah. at, at Christmas and yes, Christmas is definitely all about Jesus, but, but it's about Mary and it's about her, like the, the Mary and Elizabeth relationship. Yes. And seeing that. And so I think the more we can highlight those stories and look beyond just mm-hmm. the who's the main male character here sure, um, or how male is God in this story, like how do we say these feminine attributes? And so the more we can emphasize those beyond just the, okay, well, we've had five or we have five days of VBS. We're going to have one story about a girl and four about a guy. <laughs> um, like, let's let's go beyond that. And I think sure. that that's helpful for our, our young, our girls, our young women, but also our older women, our adults. I mean, it's helpful for every, and it's really mm-hmm. helpful for the boys too. Yes. Um, yes. You know, Moses was very important, but he was not the center of the universe. 
He really wasn't. <laughs> he was important. Um, and so I think that too, like helping people go, it's not always, it's not always about the boys. Like they need to understand mm -hmm. that the Bible is not just about them or for them. It's for everyone. Sure. So I think of even just like children's time, right? The, the wording matters. How we say what this story is about, it matters. So as pastors, as um, children's directors, as laity, right? Even think about a lay person leading and teaching Sunday school. Words matter. And so that's what I hear from you, that we can we can frame this when we're talking. It's not just about Moses. Let's let's look into this story and who are the important key figures in this story. And and when we present that from the beginning, we are empowering we are empowering those young girls to be those strong leaders. We are empowering those young boys who look at like, oh yeah, these women were leaders and how important that is from the very beginning. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Those are, those are really important key takeaways, I think, um, for this. We hope that you find this episode from the Caring Congregation helpful. For additional resources and information, check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com. Also, you can sign up for our upcoming webinar, which is February 25th and 26th of 2022. Be sure to check out the show notes for ways that you can also connect with Reverend Barbara Dunlap. And now back to our show. So I mentioned earlier, you know, I have a son. He's, um, when we're recording this, he's six months. And I do think about how I can raise him to honor and respect girls, honor and respect women. And uh, you have a son as well. And so I, I wish you would share a little bit about, um, since you have girls and you have a boy, some of those differences, how are, how are you able to do that? How are you able as a, as a, as a mother, as a pastor, how are you able to do that? Well, let's see. It's going to be about like probably another 20 years before we figure out if I did okay or not. <laughs> That's the hard thing with parenting, right? Like, you know, you bake, bake a cake. I don't know why that came to mind, but like, you know, if it's good or not within like an hour and a half, but you know, with kids, you're like, whoops, I messed up. Can't, you know? Um, but yeah, so I think for me, one of the big things is, um, and is that we've tried to raise all three of, we have three kids, girl, boy, girl, and we've tried to raise them the same basically. Right. Like, so, um, they're all in band. <laughs> they all had to be in band. They're all in theater. Uh, but you know, they, they did choir. They, uh, all had baby doll toys as kids They we watched the same movies and stuff, you know, and then their interests come about, but you know, we didn't say, Oh, star Wars is for boys and you know, uh, frozen is for girls, right? Like we, we always, you know, tried to, and those stories and emphasizing, I think that's part mm -hmm. of it too, is even just things like fiction right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, there's studies that show that women and girls will read books about and by anyone. And boys tend to read books about boys by male authors and men mm -hmm. definitely, well, boys don't, they, they get pushed that direction. And sure. so really they start off. And so I think it's things like that, like, like, um, you know, buy the trucks for all your kids, buy the mm -hmm, baby dolls mm -hmm. for all your kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, like a core thing to start with, um, is just even saying like, there aren't girl things and boy things. Sure. And that's something I have like notes in my phone where I like write down things. But one of them was like when my son was like seven saying, I don't understand why there's boy toys and girl toys. Like 
what what do your private parts have to do with what kind of toys you can play with which is exactly the thing right um and so i was like oh i did something right there that's one like <laughs> check um but yeah i think even just simple things like that and then showing um like like these stories right like talking about this or showing you know watching movies like hidden figures as they get older right and saying like look at these women and helping them recognize i think too that um there's a couple different things there's one that like helping them recognize that women's stories are often in the background um and so how girls and boys both can be champions of helping bring them to the front um, which kind of goes like with this biblical story too, but, and then also things like just general things, right? Like don't treat people the way you wouldn't want to be treated. Like it's not just mm -hmm. boys will be boys. It's not okay to tug a girl's yeah. pigtails. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, you know, we don't use that kind of stuff in our house. We don't say boys mm -hmm. will be boys. We say that was not an appropriate way to behave. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's stuff like that too, that can start at a little at, at a young age where we, we say, no, there are consequences to your actions. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think um, for, for both, you know, both boys and girls, I think it's important, but I think sometimes, you know, we tend to pick and choose. And mm -hmm. so I, I'm not exact. I mean, I wish I could be like, here's a t 10 step checklist. <laughs> um, but I think it's just like, and having, I think really too, the big key is really having frank discussions about it. Like we will sit mm -hmm. around the dinner table and talk about dress codes and how they are not just mm -hmm. um, often and yeah. how the enforcement of them. And so like, that's not a thing maybe you talk about with your three-year-old. Sure. But, you know, when you get to middle school and they're like, how come my friend got dress coded for her shorts, but this other boy didn't? You know, how come girls can't show their shoulders, but boys can? Right. Like we have those conversations at the dinner table and then, you know, help our kids develop their own thoughts about that and kind of help lead them and guide them. And so I think mm -hmm. that's a lot of it. It's not being afraid to have those hard conversations. Mm, I love that. As you've had those hard conversations, is there one that you've had to really stop and think, I, oh, I need to do more reading about this, or I need to ask my friends what they've done. Is there one that, that comes to mind that you're like, you know, I don't know the answer to this, or I don't understand this? Uh, I can't think of one because it happens a lot. <laughs> really? Okay. Like when my kids were little, like, they, they, okay, so I don't, your, your son's not old enough yet to be having these conversations with you, but just wait, because they will happen when you're driving. They oh, always gosh. happen when you're in the car. Um, which I think I've heard from some people, it's because kids feel comfortable like asking mm. these hard questions when you can't look at them. Yeah. It's yeah. not as scary. Yeah. Right. Yep. But you also can't really Google while you're driving or you right. shouldn't be Googling while you're driving. <laughs> right. And so we've had so many of those conversations where I'm like, look, I really want to talk about this, but I don't have all the information. And mm. so I need to go home. And I think that's another important thing that has really nothing to do about gender or anything, but just being able sure. to admit to our kids, I don't know. Yeah. But I yeah. want to find out with you. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and teaching them that of, you know, adults aren't perfect. We don't always know and that we all need to continue to learn. And so I think, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I wish I could say, oh yeah, there's one I remember, but I don't, but my kids used to always, you know, it's like become a catchphrase in our family. They would say for some reason when they're little, Google it up. So go <laughs> Google it up. Like, search, it was like Google it and search it up became the thing. So we still in our family would be like, well, let me Google it up. I don't know. Sure. I'll Google it up. So I think, yeah, I wish I could say there was one. But there were so many, I mean, mm -hmm. just like deep theological questions that come out in the car and then things like, well, why is this word a bad word or what, you know, all of that. And so, um, and I do think, like you said too, like being able to search and, but then also like text your friends, call your friends. <laughs> like I had a Sunday school class where all of us had kids like around the same time. And so we were all kind of in the same thing. And so being able to touch base with those people and be like, Hey, 
this is a conversation that's happening in my family, you know, or this is the situation. How would you handle this? What would you do? And getting that feedback from other parents that are kind of in the midst of it. And then also like my own parents and older people, like, I think that's important too. So, yeah. Having that sense of community is so important and it helps that it helps to know you're not alone. I mean, we, before we started recording, I was mentioning something and you said, oh yeah, I went through the same thing. And I'm like, I'm glad to know I'm not alone in that. Yeah. Um, Really? We need one another. We need one another as parents, as we are trying to navigate this crazy world right now, especially with COVID and um, so many problems with school and, and just social media and our society. It's, we need one another of how, how are we going to raise our children? Um, and um, with that in mind, I'm curious, you love Mr. Rogers, as do I. So I was raised on, I'm curious how Mr. Rogers has helped you um, in your uh, passion for, for children, for young children, especially girls. How has he guided, guided your education? Um, I think a lot of it is just the openness that's there. And like, like kind of like we were talking about, right. He, he was always willing to, I mean, he on his show didn't usually say, I don't know, but he might've said, I didn't know. And so I learned about this, right. Like modeling that curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, That's Mm -hmm. a big thing for me. I I really don't understand it when people's first instinct is to be like, I don't know. And I don't care. (laughs) Like what? Um, Like I, you know, and so I think that like Mr. Rogers, like, okay, I want it. You know, he would be like, I want to know how crayons are made. So let's go to the crayon factory. And I was like, yes, let's do that. Um, You know, how do you tune a violin or whatever? Like he had these great things. And I think that's so much like, um, it's really easy to shut down those questions, especially when you've had 500 of them. Um, (laughs) And that's going to happen whether you're a parent or a, you know, a babysitter or somebody working with children and youth, they're going to ask you questions and you're going to be tired and maybe you can't answer it right then. And I've learned that's a good technique too, is be like, I can't, we can't have this conversation right now. Like if you, you know, you're the youth pastor and you're like, your mom's going to pick you up in one minute, but I promise you that we can have this conversation next week. Like I will set aside time for this or whatever it is. And I think sure. that's it too. Like that, just that curiosity. And I think too, just the way that Mr. Rogers talked to kids, um, that they're, they're people, mm-hmm. uh, with complex emotions and that's okay. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's one thing that was so great that he did um, was model like how to be a non-toxic man <laughs> too. Uh, and how to, how, how anyone, it's okay to cry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's okay. And think about when he was first talking about like boys could cry. I mean, we yeah. still aren't like a lot of people still aren't comfortable with that or men being showing emotion. Sure. Um, but think about like in the sixties and seventies when he was doing that, mm-hmm, like that was mm-hmm. groundbreaking. And so yeah, I think just huge. that, that gentleness mm-hmm. and that way of approaching, um, just, I mean, I, I've, I'm lucky that I have had lots of male examples that mm-hmm. are not exactly Mr. Rogers, but have lots of those same qualities. And I think that has yeah. shaped me too, to be able to say, uh, and so I think that's a key too, when we were talking back about like with, you know, boys and, um, you know, my 15 year old and I have been watching Ted Lasso together. Yeah. <laughs> so not recommended for young children. I know you're talking more about children, but right, like find those characters because that's a show that models mm-hmm. um, gentle masculinity, even though yes. they're playing a really rough and aggressive sure. sport and they have a lot of curse words, um, but it's still a gentler. So I think, you know, who are those role models that we can find mm-hmm. for our boys mm-hmm. and our girls that show like, here's a way to be a man who treats women well and treats other men well and treats himself yes. well. Yes. 
Um, and so how that models. And so, yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of that to me comes back to that. Like I always come back to like, who's the example of that? And I'm like, Fred Rogers, like he may yeah. be the closest to Jesus we have had, <laughs> you know, I, I have some yeah. other thoughts on that, but I do call him like a modern day saint in my opinion. Like, I think he was saintly I and mean, he wasn't perfect, but no saint mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So yeah, I think that's like, that's a model. Go back and watch those old episodes with your kids. Yes. That's a good model. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. So you are the founder of Sacred Worth Ministries. Tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, Well, it's very fledgling. (laughs) So uh, I have big goals, which, you know, are going to take some time. But the whole goal, I mean, right, comes from that question again. What would it look like if women and girls were treated as children of God with sacred worth? And so what does that look like? And what does sacred worth mean? And so that's something I'm hoping to kind of expand on. And like you mentioned, these organizations that I am part of here in Tarrant County and Fort Worth, um, because, you know, something a lot of people don't know is that we have high infant mortality rate in Tarrant County. The state of Texas has a high maternal mortality rate. And Mm so there's lots of reasons why. But some of the reasons I think deep at the root of it is that women and girls are not treated as children of God with sacred worth, right? Our legislators don't treat them that way. Our um, doctors don't always treat them that way, right? Women are dismissed, their pains, you know, I'm sorry, you think you're having a blood clot, you know, postpartum. Well, we don't, we don't care. You don't know what, you don't know your own body as well Mm -hmm. as I do. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's a lot of it. And so how I can work with those organizations and And then I think, I mean, so it's, I'm a deacon. So in the Methodist church, Mm -hmm. we're supposed to be like this bridge between the world and the church. And I like the term ambassador because I feel like there's Mm -hmm. more motion there. But I feel like that's a lot of my job is saying, how can I take these things I've learned through these different organizations and these different training events I go to and help bring that back to the church and say, church, you know, people are hurting. Uh, and, 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 you know, and it's easy to say it's the people out there are hurting, but people in our congregations are facing these same issues. Maybe not in the same scale as they are. It depends on where your church is, right? So, um, but, but this kind of, some of the stuff that's happening, this inequity is going to touch people in your congregation. And so, like you said, like how do we talk about that ahead of time, how we frame things during children's time or Mm -hmm. Sunday school, right? How do we frame that to help even people recognize when they see something like that happening to say, this isn't okay. And I know that, because mm-hmm. I heard this children's sermon that said that God loves girls just as much as God loves boys or that, you know, girls are leaders, right? Like you said, yeah. like I heard the story of Deborah in church and I knew that women could be anything, right? And so when I see that not happening in the world, I know that's wrong. And so I think that's a lot of, and so I'm hoping to be able to kind of bridge those two more, um, so we'll see. It's uh, I guess there's, awesome. there's a lot there's a lot of different areas to work in. But yeah, my first focus is more with the health equity and um, which is a lot. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I'm just really proud of you for taking that leap of faith to see this need in our society and to make this a focus and to help us discover these disparities. And we're able to really work through this when we when we have this brought to our attention. And so I, I applaud you for, um, for following where God is leading you and your passions. And, um, I'm so excited to see how, how this looks in the future too. Um, how we as pastors, um, as laity, as, um, children's ministers, directors, I mean, we're able to really learn from these ambassadors like you 
to um, to bring attention um, to especially girls so that they are seen as sacred sacred worth. And uh, so I applaud you for that. Thank you. Yeah, well, I am grateful for our time together. So I want to have you back for sure. Uh, we're going to do a series on uh, the intersection of care and justice. And so I want to talk more about your work with United Methodists for Reproductive Justice. And I know we'll have many more great conversations about this, but thank you so much for your time. So I will link in the show notes of ways that people can follow you and learn more about these excellent organizations and especially yours, Sacred Worth Ministries. And I know if people have questions, um, they can follow up with you. And um, I hope that this will really spark people's imagination to answer that question. What would the world look like if women and girls were seen as children of God with sacred worth? So Reverend Barbara, thank you for your time. And I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to check out the show notes for additional information and ways that you can be connected to Reverend Barbara and also Sacred Worth Ministries. Check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com, for additional resources, information, information on our books, as well as our upcoming uh, webinar that will be um, online February 25th and 26th. Join us next week for our last recorded episode of season three. Then we're going to take a break and join you in the new year, January of 2022, with season four for care for youth and their caregivers. It's going to be a great season. We're having so much fun recording these episodes and we hope that you will enjoy the holidays and be sure to join us in the new year. But we've got one more, so tune in next week. We'll see you then.